It is my very great privilege today to introduce our preacher for this morning, Dr. Hans Borsma, who, of course, uh, was one of my professors at Regent College uh, back when I was there. Uh, Hans and his wife, Linda, and Linda, I don't want to embarrass you too much, but can you just wave? Uh, We've been blessed as well to, to welcome them as new members into our parish. So it's a great joy to have them with us and to have Hans speaking to us today. Hans is a J.I. Packer, uh, professor of theology at Regent College. He has a long history in the academy, uh, stretching back uh, to Trinity as well, more locally. Uh, He is published in a number of uh, journals and magazines, and of course uh, has published a number of very fine books. And whenever you spend time with Hans, you have that wonderful feeling that you're, uh, you're spending time with somebody whose heart is very much in that place where the ancient faith was delivered to the saints once and for all. This, this ancient truth, the sacramental reality, the presence of God amongst us and calling us upwards in Christ. So Hans, I'd like to just welcome you forward now as you open the Word of God for us. Thank you and bless you, brother. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. A couple of weeks ago, I was supposed to babysit two of my grandchildren. Now, after they had tucked in their two little ones, my son and his wife were getting ready to leave the house. Just then, though, a piercing cry came from the bedroom. One of the two had woken up. I rushed up, tried to assure our little granddaughter that mommy would be back soon. Well, that was a mistake. (laughs) The horrible realization set in that mommy had abandoned her, and comfort was now beyond the pale. When the crying woke up number two, he also began sobbing unconsolably when he realized it was only his opa, not his mom, who was sitting beside his bed. Thankfully, though, mom and dad only had their coats on. They hadn't actually left yet, which was a saving grace, both for the children and, as you can imagine, also for me. Well, terrified at being left behind, doubting whether those were supposed to trust will actually be there. Fearful that we'll drown in the challenges of life. All of that describes not just little children, but all of us too. It depicts who you and I are at our most vulnerable. Our existential fears and doubts go to the very heart of our relationship with Jesus. Is he really with us? Is he truly here? That is the question the disciples face at the very end of Matthew's gospel. Now, they do all the right things. After Jesus' resurrection, they go to Galilee. They go to the mountain where Jesus has told them to go. Jesus 
on the mountain. It is an occasion for worship. After all, the mountain is the place where Jesus consistently has revealed himself. On the mountain, he gave his teaching, Sermon on the Mount, fed the 4,000, was transfigured before them. So when the disciples see him on the mountain, they prostrate themselves before him. They worship him. Here on the mountain, God is present in Jesus. But note the contrast in today's passage. They worshipped him, but some doubted. This has been the predicament of the saints through the centuries. Do we really see him? Is he actually here for us? This is also David's predicament in the psalm we just read, Psalm 86. We read the middle part of that psalm. But the middle part, indeed, is about all the nations coming and worshiping before the Lord. That we see also in today's gospel passage. Go, therefore, and make, the, make disciples of all nations. That's the middle of the psalm. But the backdrop to it is one of fear, of trouble, and of doubt. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Verse 1. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you. Verse 7. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. Verse 14. David worships God, but he also gives expression to his fear, his trouble, his doubt. This is the disciples' experience as well, when they're out in a boat without Jesus. It is late at night. All alone they see a figure walking on the sea. They're terrified. They cry out in fear. And Peter, while he wants to worship the Lord, even ends up walking into the, onto the water, is gripped by fear. Lord, save me, he calls out, and sinks in the waves, earning himself Jesus' gentle reprimand. O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And it's only when they're all in the boat the wind has died down. Once they're saved, that they worship him. Truly, you are the Son of God. This gripping little story back in chapter 14 is like an illustration of today's gospel passage. In both, the disciples struggle with the question, is Jesus truly here, really with us, yes or no? Can we actually count on him, yes or no? And in both, we have this mixed response 
of worship and doubt. David's experience, the disciples' experience, is yours and mine. Yes, our dedication is real. Sometimes in faith, we see Jesus. We call on him in faith. We prostrate ourselves before him. But then the doubts set in. A financial setback immobilizes us. A health scare drives us deep into fear. An attack on us for something we've done terrifies us. We're like the frightful child that thinks he's alone. We're like David, terrified of his enemies. We're like the disciples, freaked out by the waves. Jesus seems anything but present to us. How can we see him? How can we know that we see him? How can we know that he is with us? So many things inside and outside ourselves to frighten us, to pull us away from bowing down in worship of him. So many things to keep us anxious, fearful, doubtful, Jesus knows our fears. He knows that worship and doubt go together for us. And so in these final words of the gospel, he gives us direction. He tells us where to look for him when we're gripped by our fears. How does he assure us? Well, he assures us with his name. The entire Gospel of Matthew is a word of assurance from Jesus. I am here with you. And when I'm here, God is here. The entire Gospel is bound together by that promise. Chapter 1. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which Matthew adds means God with us. And then the very last verse of the gospel, and also of our passage this morning. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What Jesus says is, the promise of my name, Emmanuel, God with us, is one that you can count on. I will be true to my name. The promise at the heart of Jesus' name, Emmanuel, binds this entire gospel together. And again, what Jesus says here about his name being trustworthy, something we may look up to, is in line with the overall biblical story. Let's go back again for a moment to Psalm 86. Unite my heart to fear your name. 
I will glorify your name forever. And what is the contents of that name? What's the character, the identity of that name? So that, so that with abandon we might offer our worship. Verse 15. You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We know those words, right? We know that name. We recall it. And David, too, remembers it from Moses. It is the name with which God first revealed himself to Moses on Mount Sinai. When Moses was standing in the, in the cleft of the rock, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is God's name. That is God's identity. That is God's very being. It is who he is in Jesus. The story of the disciples and the boat does nothing different. It too draws us to the name itself, Emmanuel, God with us. You remember how it goes. As they cry out in fear, Jesus speaks to them and says, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now literally, Jesus says, Take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. Why those words, I am? The reason is, our God is I am. The very name of the one we worship is I am. That is how God first revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent, sent me to you. Already then, when God revealed himself to Moses by the name Yahweh, I am the eternal one. I am the faithful one. His name implied a promise, implied salvation, implied presence. I will be present with you to deliver you from Egypt. Jesus says to the disciples in the boat, I am. What he does is he gives them his name. He tells them he, Jesus, is the eternal one, the faithful one, the one who will be present with them to save them. He tells them he's Emmanuel, God with us. I have this hunch. Peter recognizes who it is that's walking on the water toward him. This isn't just any human being. In Jesus, he sees the great I am. He sees the eternal savior of all mankind. He sees God with us. And so he calls out, Lord, if it is you, command, command me to come to you on the water. And even when the doubts do set in, when he sees the wind whipping up the waves, he still 
has enough faith to cry out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Peter's not just crying to be saved from the water, though that too, to be sure. He is calling out to be saved from every enemy that threatens our worship of God. He wants to be saved into the presence of Jesus, into the presence of God. In the words of our passage, what he's ultimately crying out for is to be baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. For it is baptism that now saves us. These final 40 words of St. Matthew's Gospel are rich. They are chock full of comfort and encouragement. All we've done this morning is meditate together on how it is that we can battle our fears and doubts and so purify our worship of God. The heart of it is quite simple. We need to focus on Jesus. For it is in His name, the name of our Savior, Emmanuel, that we see God with us. Jesus knows you and I don't always experience His presence. There's this real tension, after all, between Jesus being absent from us and being present with us. Several times he cautions the disciples, he will not always be with them. When Jesus is asked why his disciples don't fast, he says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come, he says, Jesus says, when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast. Similarly, he warns his disciples, you always have the poor with you, you will not always have me with you. In some sense, in some sense, Jesus will not always be with them. And although Matthew's gospel doesn't mention the story of the ascension, it's clear this is what Jesus is talking about. In some sense, he is absent from us. He has gone to be with the Father in heaven. And yet, in another all-important sense, Jesus is very much present with us. He comes to us in bread and wine, also this morning. When he celebrates the Last Supper with his disciples, Jesus tells them to take, eat, this is my body, and to drink of it, all of you. He then adds, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in the kingdom of my Father. When we come to receive the Eucharist, Jesus drinks the wine new with us. When we, therefore, come forward to receive the Eucharist, 
Jesus says to us, the kingdom is here. I am present with you, Emmanuel. When the waves threaten to drown us, when fear and doubt cripple our worship, we come to the altar. And Jesus says to us, it is I. I am with you always to the end of the age.